He's one of the very few men in history that most people can recognize by name, and no name can ever be as important. Everyone knows of Jesus Christ. But how much do we know Jesus Christ? Join us as we dive deeper into his life, his teachings, and his love, and together we can grow closer and build a personal relationship with him. This is Light of the World in Focus. Hello and welcome to the Light of the World in Focus. I'm Mother Deucenup. And I'm Elder Jones. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a really exciting, well at least in my mind, uh, podcast today. I'd say it's pretty exciting. I Yeah, we, we cover one of my favorite parts of the scriptures actually. And we're saving that for the end. So I'm excited to get there. Save the best for last. Yep. So if you remember last podcast, we talked about uh, kind of the nativity story, right? Uh, Christ coming into this world. And we're going to take this one from where we kind of left off from there. So if you remember in the last one, uh, we left off with Mary and Joseph fleeing in Egypt because King Herod had um, made a decree to kill all the babies. Dang it, um, Herod. I know. Always, always just throwing a wrench in the plans. But luckily, Herod doesn't actually live much longer after that decree. <laughs> um, and... An angel visits Joseph in a dream and tells him to go back to uh, Israel, right? And so uh, when they go back, they're they're actually guided to settle in a place called Nazareth. Nazareth is in uh, the northern part of the kingdom, right? It's uh, kind of a not the best town from what we get from the scriptures. At least it's not the wealthiest. It's a... Pretty kind of a working class, yeah. small, small yeah. town. That's a good correction. Yeah. But it does actually fulfill prophecy. Um, in the book of Matthew, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets, he shall be called the Nazarene. Now, this is actually an in- interesting prophecy, because in the Bible we have today, there is no prophecy along these lines. Nowhere does it ever say that he will be a Nazarene. Yet Matthew was pretty convinced there was a prophecy. Um, That's interesting because it suggests that back in those days, um, in the time of Christ, so Christ himself, he had scriptures that were not quite the same as ours. He might have had some that we didn't have. But we do know that he he uh, did have a lot that we have. And that's kind of cool to think that the words that, you know, the scriptures that we can read are the same ideas and principalities that Christ read and uh, read growing up. And he learned for himself. Um, because we actually don't know a whole lot about the boyhood of Christ. We have one uh, verse in Luke t- chapter 2, verse 40. And it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so this shows that he he did have to learn. He had to grow. Like, waxed strong. Um, I think of it as this, the phases of the moon. There's waxing when it's growing towards the full and the waning when it's going away from the full. And if you look, it's not like the full moon just boomed there one night. It's there layer by layer. It's the same with Christ. He, he had to learn. Uh, grace by grace, just just as we do. And so that's sometimes a really cool thought to think that, you know, Christ, he, he had to learn how to grow. So 
why is it any different for us, right? That's right. I think that's kind of cool in part because it makes Christ, it makes Jesus as a person a lot more connectable. Relatable. Yeah, Yeah. I can imagine Jesus, if he had been born a baby and he knew everything from the start, well, he's just kind of an unapproachable figure. He's just Mm -hmm. infinitely better than us and we... There's no chance of us comparing. We're just totally on a different level. We can't even connect. But the fact that um, Christ was born and he didn't know anything. He was just a regular baby. And as a kid... Not a regular baby. Well, But it was on kind of the same level. Yeah. Yeah. He was helpless and yeah, dependent yeah. on... Totally Some of what we, we can identify with. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really cool um, to see that. And uh, again, it, it kind of... His, his job was to feel like to experience mortality... Just like we do. So if he had come knowing everything, he never would have experienced it. And that kind of defeats his purpose. There's a great part in Jesus the Christ we won't get into, but he talks about that. It's on uh, page uh, 111 at the bottom, and it spills over into page 112. But he gives some good insights on that. Um, And the only other thing we do know about the... We only have one story from the... Uh, childhood of Christ. That's right. This this story kind of gives us a little snapshot into how Christ was a little different and also similar um, in his childhood to our childhoods. And the back the backdrop of the story is so Nazareth is up in the north part of Israel in kind of a region called Galilee, and um, every year. Um, is a ceremony called the Passover, which all the Jews would, um, they would observe. And I think it's, is it all the men? Mm-hmm. That Have all the men, the yeah, they would present themselves at the temple, which is in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on the south side of the Israeli um, kind of province. And so this is a bit of a trek to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. Several days journey. Yep. And so um, they usually travel in caravans just for safety, you know, safety in numbers. And um, they get to Jerusalem, and the festivities and the feasts last about the last seven days. Um, and so after the seven days, after everything's said and done, you know, they've presented themselves at the temple. And this was a special year because uh, Jesus turns 12. And that is the age where they're kind of recognized um, as a member of the community. Right. right? It's kind of like, like early adulthood they're like okay you know we're um yeah acknowledge you or whatnot and so uh, a very a very special year well this year would long be remembered in uh mary and joseph's uh that's right um lives for a couple different reasons one because it was a big one for christ but also on the way back they had been traveling for about a day they yeah so they'd been traveling for a day and um they they weren't they didn't see Jesus. And mm-hmm. so at first we can we can infer that um, actually we don't infer there's there's a scripture that says they assumed Christ was in the company of their acquaintances. Yeah. Because it's a big caravan, right? I'm sure he oh, had friends and he's probably hanging out with some other people in the caravan. I mean who here's teenagers would much rather go on a road trip with their family or with their friends, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we we won't make any we won't make any speculations, but, but it's safe to say it was a cultural thing to do. Um, just, you know, you're friends with the caravan, right? Why not spread out? Yeah. Well, they find out he's not in the caravan. 
And so they're like, oh man, where where is he? They don't know if he got lost along the way, if he's still back in Jerusalem. This is after a day of travel. And after a day of travel. And so they go back and they look for him. And they look for not one, not two, but three days. I don't have kids. I don't imagine what it can be like to have lost a kid. But I assume it would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. Especially after three days of not knowing where he's at. I'd be pretty panicked. Yeah, that would stress me out. I mean, if... when I lose my favorite shirt for three days, I start getting panicked, you know? Let yeah. alone a kid. <laughs> Let alone the son of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so at day three, they finally find him. And of all the places to be, it's kind of auspicious, you might say, that um, that he's at the temple. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking with all these, um, all these professors, these um, doctors of well-studied in the law, the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not different for that time, um, because like we said, he became a member of society at that point. So they were meant to, they started learning the scripture. They start um, really diving into it and being taught. And so it wasn't rare for 12-year-olds and young men to question and talk with the with the scribes to to grow their learning. But what was different about this one is that everyone was so astonished at the questions and answers and insights that Christ was giving. Yeah, the roles were kind of reversed Mm because Christ was the one imparting this profound, um, beautiful doctrine. And all these doctors were, they were around asking him questions and just being amazed at the insight this 12-year-old had. Yeah. It's like, who is this kid? Where did he come from? And so it was really cool, you know, really cool to see kind of the that Christ had been growing and that he had learned a lot and he had focused a lot in his early life. And so, but still, I don't think that uh, the fact of him doing that amazing, incredulous thing would erase the memory of the anguish that his uh, Mary and Joseph have felt those last three days. I mean, it's kind of clear in uh, Mary's question to him, uh, where he says, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy fa- father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Or basically, what the heck? <laughs> we were so scared. We thought you were dead. We could not find you. Like, what were you doing? Um... And I think she's, you know, kind of justified in that. I know mothers sometimes can think irrationally when it comes to the safety of their uh, of their kids. I think that's good. It, it's definitely a good thing. It kept me alive <laughs> up to this point in my life. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how Jesus replies, though. That's true. He kind of... It sounds a little like a, a rebuke. Uh, and I'm sure it's not a rebuke because he... We know he I think it's more mother. of a reminder. Yeah. Because it seems that she had forgot something. So if you look carefully at what she said, she says, Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Well, so everyone thought by the law of the land that Christ was the son of Joseph, right? That's right. That was but cool. what do we know? Yeah, we His dad wasn't Joseph. Inside. It was Heavenly Father. So was Heavenly Father and Mary looking for Jesus? No, it wasn't. And this is kind of what Christ points out. He says, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not I must be about my father's business? Now, was it Joseph's business for him to be at the temple? 
Well, certainly not. He was no. looking for him. I mean, Joseph was a carpenter, right? Yeah. So he was just kind of working with wood. And he was looking for him. You're right. And so who's he talking about? Heavenly Father. That's right. It's, it reveals a little bit that, first of all, Christ at this point, he, although we know he wasn't to his full um, development as the Savior, we know he had developed a lot. Uh-huh. Um, that he already knew at least in part, what his mission was. He already knew that he'd been called by his literal father, Heavenly Father, to minister to the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also, with keeping this divine calling in mind, he still, and this is, I think, remarkable, he still obeys the law exactly. Because what does he do? Even though I'm sure he would have stayed, loved to stay, and teach to the scribes some more. I'm sure the scribes would have loved to stay and teach him some more. He put all that behind him and obeyed his mother, just like the law requires us to do. Honor thy mother and thy father, right? Yeah. And he returns with them to Nazareth. Yeah, if, if Christ was anything, he was obedient to the law. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that, that's true. And then afterwards, you know, they go back and we don't know really much about the rest of Christ's life. Except for another scripture in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Then again, showing that he continues to learn and continues to grow to prepare for his uh, ministry. Um, and this is something we don't quite, it doesn't tell us, but we can make inferences by the scriptures. And this is something that James E. Talmadge points out in Jesus the Christ. On page 117, he talks about how uh, Christ was probably a close observer of men. Of the nature of men, I should say. Yeah. Where he, in all the parables he used, he used a whole bunch of different professions, like scribes and uh, vinesmen and shepherds and like all these different professions to illustrate points. Managers of the orchard, fishermen. Managers, yeah, exactly. All these parables he tells kind of reveals that he was paying attention. Yeah. His eyes were wide open. He was learning about what people That's did. That's true. And not just people, but nature itself. How mm -hmm. many times do you refer to animals, right? The the sparrows that uh, neither sow nor reap, right? Or the foxes in their holes, or the hens sheltering their brood beneath their wings, right? Yeah. He was observer of everything at large. And I think one thing I want us to think about in this podcast is how can studying the life of Christ, not just what he taught, but like the things he did, give us principles to live by and abide by in our life. And one thing that I've learned through studying for this podcast, um, with the very little of what we do know about Christ's life, it seemed like he was a well-rounded person, mm -hmm. right? He, he, it's nice to be specialized, don't get me wrong, but he didn't, he, there's a difference between being specialized and narrow-minded. Yeah. And I think he was, he shows here that God wants us to be well-rounded, you don't have to know everything, right? But keep an open mind. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is awesome. Um, yeah, that scripture you shared earlier, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it's the one where it says, And God and Jesus grew. Increased in, in wisdom yeah, and stature. Yeah, increased in wisdom, so mentally. Intellectually. Yeah, right? in stature, so that's physically, he was healthy. Probably. Yeah. He probably I mean, To be a carpenter, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. pretty. <laughs> yeah, wood's he, heavy. Wood is very heavy. I'm yeah, sure he, he, threw a he was a carpenter around. for 30 years. And then it also says he grew in favor with God, so very spiritually mm -hmm. developed, and man. So 
he social skills. He was right? social. He was socially apt. He knew how to behave uh-huh. in social situations. Yeah, that's that's true. And you can kind of see. Um, so he doesn't just know the law down pat. He knows how to deliver it to people. Uh-huh. He knows how to, like, he has the physical ability to go around and reach the people. Yeah. He has the spirituality to know how to best apply it. Mm-hmm. That's He's true. so well-rounded. Yeah. And I think that just shows that we, we should try to be well-rounded in everything, even spiritually, right? Yeah. That we, we should always look to see how we can learn more in each area. But, you know, he did this all in, in preparing for his ministry. Like we said, um, a little is known about the majority of Christ's life. From when, they, when he was born to the age of 30, not much is really known. Besides, he grew and became well-rounded and preparing for his ministry. And at the age 30 is when he begins to start his ministry. And he does a couple of key things to uh, start that ministry. That's right. But before we can analyze that, we have to analyze the beginning of someone else's ministry. This is someone we've introduced before. Um, you guys remember us talking about John the Baptist, right? Well, now John the Baptist is starting his ministry. We know um, it's stated that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, um, John starts, starts preaching. But his preaching was a little bit different than what preaching had gone on from spiritual people at that time. That's right. John the Baptist... Um, at this time in history, was a very was a very unique character. So most of the um, most of the people that preached the word of God uh, were scribes and doctors of the law, like the ones talking with Jesus at the temple. And they usually kind of stuck around the temple and the populated areas. Uh, kind of the temple was the holy place of God, and they. They would usually dress really well and keep mm-hmm. themselves really well groomed to kind of show that they like were kind of devoted to their uh-huh. upkeeping, their self-image, and they would usually be pretty wealthy, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, just standing on the street corners shouting doesn't really pay really well, right? I'm sure yeah. they had some money coming in somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but, but John was different. Um in fact, like Elder John was saying, you know, these people, they, they usually dress really nice. Well, John, he seemed to very much dislike the soft comfort clothes as he rather elected to wear um, camel hair. Yeah, just and the was, simple, simple clothing made of, like, yeah. just woven camel hair. Yeah. Like it's, most historians think. Yeah, because if you wore the skin of the camel, it would be really heavy. And being out in the desert in camel skin and hair would be kind of hot, in my opinion. Um <laughs> But I still think woven camel hair, I don't think camels are known for having the softest hair. I could be wrong. I've never actually pet a camel. Uh, I hope that changed some point in my life. But we'll we'll see. That's right. And uh, so he, he kind of has that rough appearance. And also, he, uh, he doesn't... He, he avoids all, like, the fancy things in life. I mean, it, it says that he, ta- he, he eats locusts and honey. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know about you, but um, I love honey, but I'm not sure if uh, honey-covered locusts would be my go-to That's right. meal. 
Yeah, something interesting is in the Law of Moses, um, it kind of it sets out exactly what you can and cannot do in every aspect of life. And so that includes what you can and cannot eat. It says certain animals are clean, some animals are spiritually dirty, don't eat them. Mm-hmm. And insects were like like the kind of the lowest form of animal life. They were all dirty except for kind of the family of locusts. Mm-hmm. So John the Baptist kind of resorted to the lowest, humblest mm-hmm. source of food there is. And I think that you, you hit it right on the head. I think it all comes down to humility. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to uh, um, just him being humble and, and not going after the things of the world, but going after the things of God. I mean, he had spent the majority of his life <laughs> in the desert growing closer and to God and growing in us wisdom and uh, yeah. you know, just becoming preparing for preparing for his uh, for his uh, mission that he has. Yeah, preparing for his ministry and what a ministry! Oh, I know. Cause correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but if you saw this guy dressed in camel hair with crazy hair that was eating locusts and honey, screaming out in the middle of the wilderness, I think that guy's probably like crazy, right? He's not all mentally there. So I wouldn't waste my time to go listen to him. Yet people would. He'd draw crowds, yeah. big crowds of people listening to him preach. It really tells you there's really there's something that's really valuable in what he preaches. Yeah, he must be saying something important. And so what was his message? Well, his message can really be summed up into kind of two big things. One, repent, right? Yeah. And repentance basically means change, yeah. right? Become change more for holy. the better. Become better, right? And to be baptized, that, that was the biggest thing. That's why I call him John the Baptist. He, yeah. he would baptize people. Yeah. That was his mission. And he denounced sin very, very boldly. And he, I think... So here's... Sorry, I lost my train of thought. So I think it's best to use as a, as a with a story. So um, these Pharisees would come to John. And the Pharisees, they were very proud of their direct lineage from Abraham. That's right. Abraham, back in the Old Testament, he was promised that all his seed would be um, would be blessed and would be favored of God. Yeah, you know, that's where like the children of Israel come from, right? Is Abraham. So they they thought that their blood being directly from Abraham was basically enough for like I'm I'm pretty scotch free, I'm I'm getting into heaven, right? And they were very prideful about it. Well this is what he has to say about this. Um, he says um, to these Pharisees that are very proud of being Abraham's seed, says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Or basically, stop hiding behind Abraham as your father, and, you know, do do good stuff. Do, do work. Yeah. Become better. Because Absolutely God, he can... He could make stone turn stones into children of Abraham, or he could turn the lowest human being on earth into a son of Abraham, right? What he wants you to do is to change, to repent, to be better. Right. And it's a very practical approach to the gospel that he's introducing. It's not just um, knowing your lineage and all these um, complex rites that the Pharisees would often say, like this number of steps on the Sabbath and all these rituals. And um, while John the Baptist never really denounced those rituals, his his application of the gospel was 
very very practical. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he he gave people things that they could they could do. Yeah. Right. There was there's people that came to him and asked, "What shall we do?" Different groups of people, mm-hmm. um, asking different questions. Yeah, I think the three that it really talks about is. Um, People say, well, what, what can we do? He said, he that have two coats, let him impart to them that has none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Right? Basically, share we have help other people. Yeah. Right? That's more than just saying, grow your faith in Christ, which is uh-huh. a very abstract thing. He's giving you an, a real world example right here, right now. Yeah, this is what you can physically do. Be generous. Yeah. And then the publicans, they were tax collectors, and people didn't like the publicans because a lot of times they'd take more than what was required and mm-hmm. not be the most nice people. So he says to them, exact no more than what is appointed to you. Or basically, do your job, right, and don't do anything more. The soldiers ask, well, what can we do? And uh, sometimes soldiers would use their power in the, in the classes to, like, push people around and get what they want. And he told them that, uh, not, you know, don't abuse your power, right? Don't accuse people for, like, be a nice person and treat people fairly. And so he gives people, like, things that they can do. That's right. And very practically. and um, oh, but That's one of the reasons that John the Baptist like, attracted so oh, many yeah. listeners. Yeah, I mean, it was very like, I can, like, people think, I can do this. And because he was so different, um, a lot of people thought, oh, maybe this is the Messiah, right? He's different. Um, this, this could be the one. And this is another thing that's important to uh, notice about John, is that he never raises his calling or his role to something higher than it is. So that really right? wraps back to his humility. His humility, right? He was very humble. I mean, he says, like, um, you know, I, I baptize you, I'm teaching you repentance, but he says, um, He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Um, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Or, uh, basically, there's someone that's coming after me that I have no right to compare myself to. That's right. The Whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, that analogy, is kind of touching at this, um, this custom back in the day that only the lowest of servants would be required to um, take your shoes off or carry your sandals. Um, and so John the Baptist is saying, I'm lower than the lowest of servants compared to... The one that is coming. Yeah. And so he never said, oh, I am a pretty great guy, aren't I? Right? I am teaching a pretty cool practical religion. No, he was very real. And to kind of wrap it up, I think, again, looking at how these great people in the scriptures live their lives can really give us guiding (coughs) principles. Like for John the Baptist, I would say we could all stand to be a little bit more like John the Baptist. He He was a very humble man who didn't go after the rich things of the world. I right. think there's nothing wrong with having like there, having nice things. Yes, yeah. I'm not saying we have to go all, all go out and buy camel hair underwear, right? I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, but like not having your heart set on it, it's okay to have nice things. But where your heart, you know, where your heart is, is where are your priorities. Yeah, and so just just putting the spiritual things in front of the in front of the physical things. Also, never lifting our office or our calling to something higher than it is. Some people have jobs in earth, on earth that might be a little bit more grand and glorious than ours. But we've been given these jobs for a reason. Like John the Baptist, right? 
Um, he had a great calling. Um, nothing compared to the great mission that Christ would undertake. And in fact, John the Baptist, he wouldn't live long into into a Christ ministry. He'd be killed shortly there. Spoiler alert. Into yeah, spoiler alert. We'll get into that in a different podcast. But he did his job when he did it well. Just like in life, like even in the scriptures, like we know all the big names like Moses and you know Joshua and Isaiah. There's a whole bunch of awesome righteous people in between then that history may not really give a whole lot of glamour to. But was their job just like any less important than those people? I would argue no, because God gave it to you. And so John the Baptist, he shows a great, great way of how to live, right? And also standing standing strong for what he believed in. I mean, standing up to the Pharisees the way he did wasn't really an easy thing to do back in the day because the Pharisees had so much power. That's right. Right? It'd be kind of a bad idea to, to backtalk them. And so he he stood what he believed he stood for what he believed in really, He was really true well. to it. Very true to it. Um, yeah, so it only, it only makes sense that this, um, this man who fulfilled prophecy, who was very humble, who taught practically, would be the one to baptize Christ. Yeah. So well, that's, that's the next point I want to talk about, is as Christ begins for his ministry, right, there's some things that he does to do that. And we're going to hit on two the two major ones. The first one, like Elder Jones said, is being baptized. Why would Christ need to be baptized? That's right. John the Baptist had that very question. He um, he knew that Jesus was sinless. He didn't. He hadn't made any sins, and so he said, "Jesus, you don't have any sins to be washed away. You don't need to be baptized. Why are you coming here? You're basically a perfect sinless man. In fact." John himself says, I have need to be baptized of thee. Yeah. There's that humility again, but recognizing the glory of Christ's calling. For sure. And that I think it's really cool to see the response of Christ. Because Christ does not deny that. He doesn't say, oh, believe me, I need to be baptized for my sins. He doesn't say that. Because Christ was very much aware of his own sinless state. Yeah. Right? But... <clears throat> He says, suffered to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. If I remember that quote right. Yep. Um, and uh, so how, how does Christ fulfill all righteousness? Well, in the book of, uh, in the book of Mormon, in 2 Nephi chapter 31, it goes over this really well. We won't get into that because we don't have time. I'd recommend you go read the first couple of verses, not the whole chapter of that. But basically, God commanded it. That's right. So the only so the only reason that Jesus had for getting baptized was Heavenly Father said so. Yeah. And while that's not necessarily a um, that's not a reason that has direct consequences in the same way that oh if you get baptized your sins will be washed away um, because the Father said so that doesn't have any um, direct kind of cause and effect thing that requires you to get baptized. It's just something that the Father said. Mm -hmm. Again, showing uh, Christ's complete humility in obeying the law. That's right. Right, Obeying what his, what his Father has said. Yeah, he did what the Father asked just because the Father asked it. That's exactly right. And again, this was all, um, this was all in preparation for his ministry. So he right. probably wanted to get all the, 
boxes checked and squ everything squared away for this. And so the next thing he does, this is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite stories. Here we go. Because uh, it, there's just so much stuff in it, and so we can't hit on all of it, but we we will uh, talk about some key juicy stuff, in my opinion. So we're talking about this is when Christ goes out into the wilderness to uh, pray and to fast. Um, and so the first thing is why the desert, right? Why why not just like a nice close secluded room, right? Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. The first one for me being that, uh, one, if you're going to fast, it's kind of nice to be away from all the food because that can be kind of tempting. And also, just <laughs> using that as an example, it gets away from the distractions of the world, right? The hustle and bustle of city life, right? Or even small town life. Or even small town life, right? Um, it gets away from all that where you can really focus on something. Yeah, that pattern of retreating to the desert, it's pretty frequent among prophets and um, people trying to connect with God. Like John the Baptist, he remained in the desert. Um, Moses, he went to the top of a mountain uh -huh. to commune with God. Seclusion is a big thing when it comes to uh, communicating with God. Removing distractions. Removing distractions, exactly. And I think it just shows the, the intimate level that God wants to have a relationship with each of us. Yeah. Right? He wants us to take that time. That's right. So the desert provides all that for him. Also, so he goes out to the desert to pray and to fast, right? So why was he fasting? So in Jesus the Christ, James E. Talmud gives a great um, insight on this. And quick thought, I'm really hoping that as we as we go through this podcast, we pull a lot from Jesus the Christ. And we're all not able to go through all of it because of the short time we have for each podcast. So I'm really hoping that each of you will, will read along with the chapters with us. That's right. Because they really do have a lot of great information that we can't hit on everything. Yeah, James E. Talmadge goes through the scriptures and basically breaks it down, gives us extra insight on them. Yeah. So, um, anyway, back to the fasting thing. This is what he had to say about that. So speaking of Christ, he says, He had much to think about, much that demanded prayer and the communion with God that prayer alone could ensure. Throughout the period of retirement, he ate not, but chose to fast, that his mortal body might the more completely be subjected to his divine spirit. Or basically, you know, we've all heard that, uh, um, you know, it's kind of like the natural man, right? We're trying to, we're trying to fight the natural instincts of our, of our carnal flesh. And by fasting, um, he was able to give his spirit more, more potency, yeah, more, more it was power. Huge um, exercise of self-mastery. Oh, yes. Which is evident. It says 40 days and 40 nights. Holy cow. Only he could do that. Yeah. And, of course, he's probably in a very weak and hungered state, right? As anyone would be from fasting that amount yeah. of time if they could even survive He was it. living a mortal life. Uh-huh. Well, so who, sure enough, who, who likes to come along and make our lives more difficult when we're down and... Um, a little weaker. A little weaker, right? Well, we all know that Satan loves to kick us when we're down. That's um, right. And, you know, Christ Christ is no different. Christ, not, and uh, Satan comes to tempt him in the desert. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm praising Satan at all. I'm really not, because just diabolical. But he is so clever and cunning with these temptations. 
like when you look at it, he's not. The temptations are more than just what you see on the face level. That's right. There are deep, multi layers to these temptations. That it's more than just what what Satan says. There's much more that it implies, and it's just so amazing how crafty and how much is packed up in just honestly a few short words. That's right. right. And so this is the first temptation we'll dive into. We'll, we'll try and peel it apart as best as time will allow. This is the first thing. And notice how Satan phrases this. It says, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now there's a very obvious thing here. So Jesus is hungry. Jesus is hungry, right? And being the Son of God, he has the power to molecularly change, I assume molecularly, molecularly, am I pronouncing that right? Molecularly. Yeah, that word. There's our vocab word of the day. Um, change stones into bread, right? He, he can do that. And therefore would appease, appease his hunger. Well, what, what would happen if Christ actually did this? For one, it would be a misuse of his power. If you look throughout the scriptures, Christ is always using his power to bless other people. That's right. Never to bless himself. Out. Exactly. That's a big thing about the character of Christ that you will see as we go throughout this podcast. We're going to try and emphasize is that every single time we would focus on us, like if I had been fasting, like let's say I fasted for 40 hours, not even 40 days, 40 <laughs> hours, right? If you put a, even like a banana in front of me, okay, I love bananas, but let's say you put something I don't necessarily like put a in piece front of, of me. A piece of bread. Yeah, just a piece of bread in front of me, right? Just a plain piece of white bread. I'm digging in, right? There's very little. I'm turning do. in because I'm I'm hungry. But but if but Christ he doesn't. And so what's wrong with using that power that way? Well, for one, we talked about his uh, his job was to come in and experience mortality. Now, who of us can actually turn stones into bread? I can't. No one, right? Magicians might be able to like replicate something like it, but no one can truly actually just take a stone and turn it into bread. It's impossible. Yeah. So if Jesus turned stone into bread, he'd basically be taking a shortcut that none of us can take. Exactly. And he'd be cheating himself out of the mortal experience. Yeah. This life, it's full of all these little inconveniences. Just everything we do takes work. Uh-huh. Like to um to get food, like even for the very beginning, God told Adam, you're going to eat by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work to get your food. Mm-hmm. You have to work to stay alive at all. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he kind of cheats himself out of experience, like you said. And there's a lot more than that can mean. We don't have time to get into that. But I want to get into another layer of this temptation. And this, again, I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to focus on something. He says, Satan says, if. Thou be the son of God. Command that these stones be made bread. Listen to that. If thou be the son of God. There's another temptation in there. Oh yeah, you're the son of God? Prove it to me. Prove it. Prove it to yourself. Because like we said, Christ, he had to learn all this stuff. He had to learn he was the son of God. Do you think there was some doubt in there? Do you think that maybe there were some insecurities? Well, here's the thing. If, if Christ stretched forth his finger and turned stone into bread, that would show his doubt. Now, let me ask you, what's the opposite of doubt? Faith. Faith. Wasn't faith the keystone of the gospel? Faith in Christ? Faith in God? Right? So I don't think Jesus did have any doubts. Yeah. um, He might not have known everything. 
It's okay to have questions. Doubts are different. I'm sure Christ had plenty of questions, but I don't think he had any doubts. But so, see how cleverly Satan puts these temptations there. We, we might not even see, right? It's well, very, very clever, layered, layered oh, temptations. Sure. And Christ deflects them with... With finesse and something that no one else, I think, could really answer. And so, see, he turns to a scripture. He says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's it. Jesus just pulls the scripture out uh -huh. and says, no, Satan. End, well, of, end of discussion. And if you look at the scripture, too, it answers all the things, right? One, it's kind of a literal, right? You don't live off bread alone. That kind of answers the hunger, right? We rely on God. Kind of showing that we should view, we should take the spiritual over the physical. Two, we should live out of the, um, the words that proceed out of the mouth of God, right? We don't, we don't get testimony. We don't fill our hunger for knowledge by signs. We do that by having faith in God. Turning that stone into bread would be asking for a sign. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not how we grow. And that scripture perfectly, perfectly illustrates that. So Satan is foiled, Christ is victorious, but Satan doesn't give up. He never does. And Satan, so dang it. he thinks, oh, you want to play the scripture game? I can play the scripture game. And so they're on the top of the temple, right? And this is what, this is what Satan says. Again, listen to the wording. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against stone. I love this temptation. Uh, the, I mean, immediately obvious is that if. The yeah, if, there's though, that there's if that, there's that prove it to me. Prove it to yourself. Prove that you have this power. Mm -hmm. There's that if again. And he, he, he's justifying it. He's justifying this um, temptation with scripture. Right? It's like, the scriptures say... You can do it. You're justified by the scriptures. I'm justifying it for you right here. It says you can do it. Just go on ahead. Just take the leap of faith, right? Yeah. So Satan can use scripture and misinterpret it, which really shows how important it is to read the scriptures and seek the spirit of God uh -huh. as we study it so that we know how to interpret it in mm -hmm. the right way. Exactly. We'll, uh, we'll hit on that in just a second. With Christ's response, Christ's response will really answer that question. That's right. And the sec the other temptation that's really that's really uh, easy to see is, again, kind of taking the easy way out. Christ at this point hasn't began his ministry. He hasn't collected followers. He's going to have to preach and do a lot of stuff to get that. But think of this: the temple is on along one of the busiest, if not the busiest, streets in Jerusalem. At the it's time. right in the middle of the city. Right in the middle of the city. If Christ jumps off this temple and floats on down and doesn't smash to the ground like literally every other human would do. And carried by angels? Carried by angels. That would that would catch some eyes. People that, would start saying, oh, here he is. This is the Messiah. Obviously, we saw a sign. Yeah. He would get a following like that. Uh -huh. It would be kind of a shortcut that we don't have. Yeah. And what Christ, and we see what Christ does in his life. He doesn't take the shortcut. He actually 
puts in the work to kind of show by his own uh-huh. effort that he is the Christ. And again, we learn, I, and I promise you that signs are not how we grow testimony. You will never gain a lasting testimony by seeing a mere miraculous sign of anything. Right. That can confirm your testimony. It can but it confirm will not your testimony. It will never build and never give you a lasting one. Right? And Christ knows this. He knows that nothing easy is ever worth it and that you have to put in the work. And so how does he respond? Again, he responds with the scripture. It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Very simple, straight to the point. And again, he rebukes Satan with this. You're misquoting the scriptures. This is what the scriptures actually say. Don't misinterpret the scriptures on me. I'm the one that wrote them. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Christ had the right spirit. He knew what the scripture was trying to say. Uh Uh-huh. And it was not what Satan was implying. You know what it says? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's tempting him for a sign. If I'm the son of God, right, then God will bear me up, right? That that could be the, the thought process a lot of us would take, right? That's right. That's asking for a sign. Right? Again, showing that doubt like we talked about before. And so the scripture just puts it to an end. Satan has nothing he can do. And so frustrated, Satan throws everything to the wind in this third temptation. That's right. He kind of drops every facade of mm -hmm. sneakiness. He he just goes for it. Goes straight to the point. They they, uh, um, shows Christ all the kingdoms of the world, all the wealth, all the splendor, everything. Right. Imagine today you're taken to the top of Everest and you can see everything on earth. You can see all of the awesome cars, all the awesome houses, the beachfront property, whatever it is that we use to calculate wealth. And he says to Christ, all of this, let's see, what do you say? All these things I will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. First thing I notice is. Hold on, that's not Satan's to give. That's like it belongs to Christ, doesn't it? I know. Christ, He's literally the Lord like, of this world. I made this. You can't just <laughs> it, he already owns it. It's like walking into your house. I will give you all of your house if you worship me. It's right? like, no, it's my house. It doesn't make sense. But so here's what Satan is actually saying. He's saying, You're the son of God. You created the earth. If you want, you can go and get everything you ever wanted a lot easier than following through with being the savior like you've promised to do that's right and by falling down and worshiping satan he would have given up his role as the messiah and he could have had everything he wanted well not that he wanted he could have had everything in the world at least that's what satan at least that's what satan said again taking the easy way out that's right and Jesus, obviously, he owns this, and he's going to kind of earn the right over all this stuff. But he is go- he's about to work for it. He's about to put in some effort in his mm-hmm. ministry with the atoning, atoning sacrifice. He, he could just take this shortcut and bow down and worship Satan in hopes that he would get that power just easily. And another thing that I noticed, so... He could forfeit everything, give up, give up our roles, give up our, our, his everything, sorry, not ours, give up, give up everything and take the easy way out. But Christ doesn't. This is what he says with finality. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only him only shalt thou serve. And I think that this really shows the love of Christ. I think he knew 
what he at least he had an idea of what his job was. And did Crest have an easy life? No. No, he didn't. But he knew what he had to do and what it meant for you and me and everyone. And he loved us enough to go through with it. And so it's really important to realize that, that from the beginning, Christ knew. Well, Saint was defeated. He gets shunned, right? But we know it's not for the last time. Never in the scriptures does it actually say when Satan comes and tempts him again, but um, we have scriptures that reference Christ being tempted That's again. Right. Christ tells his apostles, Thou hast been with me in all my temptations. Yeah. And does, we know he didn't yield to any of them, uh -huh. but there, those temptations were still there. Yeah. And so um, we all know who tempts, and it's not God. But it's, it's important to realize that, again, taking a lesson from Christ's life is if Christ had to deal with Satan more than once, we're probably going to have to, too. I know that's not a fun, happy thought to think about, but it's true. So what does that mean? Well, it means we always have to be ready. We always have to be growing. We can't just beat Satan once and say, I'm good. We have to rely on the atonement that Christ did do for us. And that we'll get to that farther down the line. But that's kind of what my closing thought I wanted to be, was that the whole reason that we've had this podcast today is because Christ knew he had a giant job he had to fulfill. And to do that, he had to be on his A game. And because he cared for us so much to do that, we can prepare ourselves to living with him. And not only that, but Christ promises that we can borrow some of his preparedness. Yeah. We can b draw on his spirit, his strength to fight temptation. Mm -hmm. And so I want to bear my testimony that um, Christ showed us the way in his life. And we can model our, our lives after his teachings and the way that he lived and be blessed in this life. And we promise you that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, we will uh, get going off again. Thank you. Um, and please, again, pray for the truthfulness of what we talked about. Because that's how you're really going to learn. Not just by listening to, to us talk. We're just here to get ideas in your head. We need you guys to act on them. That's right. So go ahead and go study the... Study the scriptures. Study the New Testament. Study, study Jesus the Christ. Study Jesus the Christ. And, and pray. Yeah, and ask God about what it really means for you. Yeah. We promise that you'll be able to feel the spirit of truth testify what you can learn. Yeah. So thanks again for listening. Please share this with friends so that we can get... So get everyone our, can hear the good news. That's right. So everyone else can start thinking about this too. And we'll see you on the next episode. Have a good one.